Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. Okay, and uh, want to also uh, um, acknowledge uh, Jonathan, who's taken over for Jaime and the sound. Jonathan, Phil, is Phil around here? There's uh, two people that have taken over the sound, and Jackie uh, also helps out, and Jackie brings uh, the, the library um, for us and sets it up and also helps out with the recording, too. Thank you. So um I just came from uh, that month-long retreat, as I uh, mentioned. And on the retreat, one of the teachers is a, a dear old friend, uh, uh, Kamala Masters. Um, she's been practicing the Dharma um, as uh, just about as long as I have. And she shared a number of... Um, Stories or early stories uh, from her uh, on her journey, and uh, it really brought me back. And it was so lovely to to hear stories of her and her teachers and and all that. Uh, uh, I decided I uh, that it was fun for me to hear. So uh, I was hoping that would be fun to share a little bit of that as I weave in the um, uh, the point of the talk. Uh, which is uh, really the roots of happiness. Um, and I start out by um, sharing about how um, I came to this practice. I've shared this here. Some of you are, are familiar with this. Um, I read the book, Be Here Now. I've mentioned it a number of times. So I meant to bring it and I meant to bring the picture of uh, Neem Karoli Baba, but I didn't. Uh, when I um, read Be Here Now, a book that many people in my generation uh, were touched by, everything, uh, it was like coming home. Uh, and the, the pages, out of the pages, uh, Neem Karoli Baba, just, uh, who was uh, also known as Maharaji, he was Ramdas's guru. Uh, something about Hearing about him and hearing the teachings that came through that book, uh, it felt like I came home. And I went to um, Naropa Institute uh, in uh, 1974. It was the first summer of Naropa, which is now known as Naropa University uh, in Boulder, Colorado, because Ramdas was going to be there. Uh, and I had been carrying around his book like a Bible for three years. And finally, I got to meet him. And among other things, he asked me, uh, I, asked, I asked him about meditation. I'd been doing transcendental meditation for, um, for a few years. Um, the Beatles did it. If it was good enough for John Lennon, it was good enough for me. So I did it. And, um, but I was looking for more. And then I 
when I went to speak to um, to Ramdas, he said, "Go check out Joseph Goldstein, who had just come back from being uh, from practicing in India for about seven years, uh, and he this is his first real teaching back in in the states." Uh, and I went to Joseph's class, and uh, when Joseph shared about the Buddhist teachings, um, that was a coming home in a whole other way. Not just my heart was touched like be here now, but I saw a path to actually cultivate the heart and the mind. And I was hooked. Um, I'd been, uh, like I said, doing TM, but now I found a a practice that really spoke to me. But then I went back to New York, and in those days, um, there wasn't any real sitting group in New York from this kind. There were some Zen centers, small centers, but Zen never quite um, uh, resonated with me, although I have since sat some Zen and have tremendous respect. But but as far as this kind of practice, insight meditation, uh, there wasn't anything going on. But there I was in New York in my own apartment in Flushing, Queens, and um, uh, just practicing, practicing, practicing. But it was a bit lonely. At some point, Joseph said, you know, Ramdas is going to be doing, uh, holding a little invitation-only class. And um, you might... You might enjoy that kind of um, like-minded friendship. Uh, it's not a Buddhist class, but but it's it's you know really good Dharma, really good teachings. So I went to see if um, if it would work for me to be part of this class, and I had a very memorable interview with Ramdas. Um, and uh, it, that that class was a lot of Hindu devotion, Sri Ram, Jay Ram, and using mala beads and and a lot of chanting and devotion, uh, the devotional path, the bhakti path, more of a Hindu path. And by that time, I was a card carrying Buddhist meditator, right? But I knew that he had something for me to learn from. And there was Maharaji everywhere who still touched my heart. So we had a conversation uh, and seeing if this is the right path. One of the things he said to me, by the way, was um, there were a number of different austerities in the, in the, uh, in the class. Uh, diet. Um, you know, be, uh, vegetarian um, and um, uh, sadhana, spiritual practice of yoga, this much yoga, meditation, uh, celibacy, uh, a whole range of things to really cultivate your spiritual life. And one of the things he said to me as we were doing this um uh, having this interview he said you know um this is a uh this is this is hindu devotional practice so um you're going to have to let go of your meditation 
the way you meditate. And I said, letting go of my meditation practice, it was the one thing that kept me going and that I had confidence and trust in. And I actually, I spoke to Joseph and I said, you know, I can't agree right away. So I just let me think about it. And I called up Joseph and I said, look, I want to do this. But he says, I can't do Vipassana practice. I can't do insight meditation. What do you think? And Joseph thought for a moment. He said, well, what is he going to say? Don't be aware. So... He said, he said, just just if he feels right, just trust him and, and see what you can learn. I said, okay, I'll do it. But I didn't know what meditation I was supposed to be doing, so uh, it was very confusing. And a, a few days later, I called him up. Oh, I, I called him and I said, okay, I will, I will do, I'll surrender. I'll do whatever is needed for this for this class, and he said, "Okay, good." And then I said, "But uh, what am I supposed to be doing? We're supposed to be meditating twice a day for an hour each time. What am I supposed to be doing?" And there was silence on the the other end of the line, and he said, uh, "You can do vipassana." <laughs> and I said, "Vipassana," but you said. You, and he started laughing. He said, it's a very good practice. You see one moment after another. You see things clearly. You know. And then he was laughing and laughing. And, he, and it was so, it was one of many great teachings from him where he real, I realized he knew how attached I was to the meditation. He said, you have to let go of your attachment even to that. And then I could do my Vipassana practice. In the first class I went to, there was one other Buddhist in the class who was having a, a dialogue with Ramdas. It was very fierce days uh, in, in, in those days in the teaching. And, uh, and this guy was kind of saying how, you know, it's a, he was saying what I was feeling. Sometimes it gets a little sloppy doing all the Sri Ram, J Ram stuff. And I want to just go for the seeing things clearly. I, I didn't quite say it like that, but uh, I was trying to put it together. And they went back and forth. And then, and at some point he said, uh, he turned to me and he said, he's the one friend you have in this room. <laughs> and then he kicked him out of the class. He said, I don't think this is right for you, uh, so um, I wish you well. Go on your way. Mm. <laughs> I just lost the one friend I had in the class. But it turned out to be uh, an extraordinary experience practicing with him for that year. I learned so much, and my heart opened so much, because one of the things in doing this kind of practice is Sometimes it's not as moist a practice. It's not as as moist as the devotional kind of where your heart is open and you're chanting and there's this feeling of surrender. Um, there is devotion in Buddhism, but it's l- much less 
overt and obvious and juicy. Um, and I got that juice. But I spent the better part of that year going back and forth. Am I a bhakta, the bhakti path, or am I a Buddhist? Back and forth, back and forth. And I used to say to him, I don't know what my path is. And he would almost always say, don't worry about you picking your path. Your path will pick you. Instead of you needing to figure it out, you just keep on listening inside. And one day towards the end of this year, something dawned on me, we will get to the topic for the evening, of where these two paths come together. Neem Karoli Baba, Maharaji, one of his, his main instruction was love everyone, serve everyone, and remember God. And in fact, I, the thing that got me to Naropa, I had this set of, of, of vinyl album uh, that was compiled by Ramdas called Love, Serve, Remember. And if you look up uh, now, Ramdas's website is Love, Serve, Remember. I think Love, Serve, Remember Foundation. Love everyone, serve everyone, remember God. And it occurred to me that in Buddhism, there are three roots of happiness and well-being. They are non-greed, non-hatred, non-delusion. The three roots of suffering in these teachings are greed, hatred, and delusion, sometimes called attachment, aversion, and ignorance. Same thing. And the three roots of happiness are the opposite, non-greed, non-hatred, non-delusion. Buddhists and the Buddha had a way of saying, it's not this, it's not this, it's not this. And you find out what is left. Okay. And it occurred to me, wait a moment. Love everyone, serve everyone, remember God, is just another way of saying non-hatred, love everyone, non-greed, serve everyone, a heart of generosity, non-delusion, remember God or remember the divine, remember the bigger picture in here. It's not just about me. And when I realized that everything fell into place, there wasn't a conflict, and it reminds me of um, a book that Joseph Goldstein uh, has written, one of my favorite Dharma books called One Dharma. Um, And the title comes from a line from the Third Zen Patriarch, one of my favorite pieces of Dharma wisdom, where he says, there is one Dharma, not many. Distinctions arise from the clinging needs of the ignorant. There is one Dharma, not many. Distinctions arise from the clinging needs of the ignorant. And that goes for 
whether you're a Theravadan Buddhist or a Zen Buddhist or a, a Tibetan Vajrayana Buddhist or when you get down to it, a Hindu or a Christian or a Muslim, the essence, those are all fingers pointing to the moon. That's the image that is given in uh, in the teachings. Fingers pointing to the moon for people to experience their direct uh, connection to the divine, whatever you call it. Jack Cornfield, I'm sure most of you uh, know Jack Cornfield, maybe even in those uh, the students that are here tonight. Um, when he after he was um, studying with Ajahn Chah, a great master in Asia, and he was a monk for a number of years, for about four years he was a monk. And um, when he came back, or he, before he left Thailand, he said to uh, Ajahn Chah, he said, you know, I think I want to teach this stuff. Do you have any advice? And Ajahn Chah thought for a few moments, and he said, yeah, one thing I can think of, um, why don't you call it Christianity? <laughs> Just like the Buddha said, it was his, one of his last instructions, he said, go forth to all the monks and the nuns, go forth and speak in the idiom of the language of the people you encounter. You don't have to proselytize. You don't have to uh, give a, a heavy Dharma talk and use all kinds of Buddhist jargon. That just turns people off. And what I tried to do with Awakening Joy is it's like stealth Dharma, where it's the Buddhism without, the, without a whole lot of the jargon, because the principles are the same. So anyway, I wanted to talk a little bit about these three non-greed, non-hatred, non-delusion uh, in the context of um, love, serve, remember. But I'll switch around that order in the more Buddhist way. Non-greed, which is really understanding the teachings that the cause of suffering, the second noble truth, is the cause of suffering is our attachment, is our wanting things in a certain way. The second noble truth. And the third noble truth is the end of suffering. And the end of suffering is the capacity to completely let go. As Ajahn Chah used to say, you let go a little bit and you have a little freedom. You let go a lot. You have a lot of freedom. You let go completely. You have complete freedom and your troubles with the world will come to an end. It's all about letting go. And there's a number of different uh, levels of this letting go. There is the uh, letting go of our stuff and the ways we get addicted to things and to experience. We have at the beginning of the retreats these days at Spirit Rock, we have a cell phone renunciation. And we make a whole ceremony of it and people 
come up one at a time if they're ready. They're not, uh, they're not required to do this, but if they are uh, moved, they come up and they put their cell phone in the, in the basket and we ring a bell and we bow. And it's a very profound experience. And it's amazing how you do that. There we were just for a month. I didn't hear one person say, I miss my phone. In fact, towards the end it was, "Uh uh-oh, here it is. I guess I have to take it back. It's a major addiction that, that we have, as I'm sure most of you can attest to. Noticing what it is for you that hooks you, that runs you, whether it's work or gadgets or the next thing, fear of missing out or fear of missing something, FOMS or FAMO, whatever when you call it. And really, to let go is where the great happiness is in, uh, uh, in our society. We are thought of as consumers by many people trying to manipulate our consciousness. This is from Victor Lebeau, a, a, a very highly respected economist. He was writing just after World War II ended, and he was prophetic in seeing the consumer society that was about to come. He said, he put it this way, our enormously productive economy demands that we make consumption our way of life, that we convert the buying and use of goods into rituals, that we seek our spiritual satisfaction, our ego satisfaction in consumption. We need things consumed, burned up, replaced, and discarded at an ever-accelerating rate. That's what keeps our... capitalist society going. We need to consume. And uh, I'm just thinking in Thailand, there was a movement after the Vietnam War uh, that um, when Thailand was going into becoming a Western society, the, um, the people that were starting to control the economy wanted to adopt the American way. And so they were trying to get the monks and the nuns to stop teaching about contentment. This is true. This is absolutely true. And they almost succeeded except one very, very powerful, deeply respected monk, Ajahn Buddhadasa, very outspoken and courageous, said, this is not the Buddha's way. And by dint of his own courage and respect, we are not giving up contentment. This is what the Buddha was talking about. But that's how insidious it is. 
we need to be seen as consumers as opposed to the Buddhist concept of moderation, matanuta, just the right amount. And this is the, the, the um, uh, Buddhist economist P.A. Payuta who says this is an awareness of the optimal point where enhancement of true well-being coincides with the experience of satisfaction. Consumption must be balanced to an amount appropriate with well-being rather than to the satisfaction of desires. In contrast to maximum consumption leading to more satisfaction, we have moderate or wise consumption leading to well-being. So this is one aspect of this non-greed, letting go. But the full expression of it is the generous heart, service, as we were honoring Jaime here tonight. Service is one of the great joys. And in fact, uh, the father of positive psychology, Martin Seligman, who wrote the, this wonderful book, Authentic Happiness, s- defined the highest kind of happiness as identifying your own gifts, the gifts that life has given to you, and then expressing them in a spirit of contribution. That's where the true happiness comes from. And I, I love the Shanti Deva quote. He wrote the guide to the Bodhisattva's way of life, uh, the Dalai Lama's um, spiritual Bible. And he says, um, Shanti Deva says, the miracle of awakening lifts us above poverty, above the poverty mentality into the wealth of giving to life. That's where the real joy is. Every moment that you're mindful, you are practicing non-greed. When it's a pleasant moment and you just allow it to be here, don't miss it. I am fully supportive of you really letting that nourishing joy be here but when you hold on to it, you're just creating more pain. And so to be with the pleasant without grasping, this is cultivating a heart of non-greed. And the fullest expression of it is finding ways to express your gifts in this world. This world has so much suffering. We need your gifts and we need for you to feel the joyful responsibility of sharing them. Non-greed or serve, service, and generosity. Non-hatred or loving kindness, love everyone. As the Buddha says in a famous uh, line from the Dhammapada, hatred never ceases by hatred. Hatred only ceases by love. This is an ancient and eternal law. There's so much hatred in this world. There's so much divisiveness. There's so much othering. There's so much tribal mentality where they're different from me. And because 
we can so easily be stoked by fear, that gives rise to that aversion, ill will, and distancing. Love everyone. This is what Neem Karoli Baba instructed. That doesn't mean like everyone. It would be very amazing if you could find that you like everyone because there's meanness in this world, there's hurt in this world, there's cruelty in this world. And so this is not to say you like everyone. And in fact, with the service as well, it's not that you are always just doing nice things. Service sometimes means taking a very strong stand and saying no, but not with hate in our heart. Hatred never ceases by hatred. Hatred only ceases by love. And so to to really understand that you can come with a very strong stand, but not animosity and ill will. Because when we have that, it poisons us. We're the ones that are embittered and contracted when we are coming from hatred. The Buddha likens it to when you're when you're angry and want to harm someone it's like picking up a hot coal and throwing it at them so that you can hurt them and not realizing in the process you are the one that's getting burned or like drinking some poison and hoping the other person is going to get sick so to do what you do but do it from a place of goodwill. And in the the loving-kindness practice, there is this, you go through the different categories where you're practicing opening your heart towards yourself, towards a benefactor, towards a loved one, towards a neutral person, and even towards a difficult person, wishing them well too. And you might say, why would I want to wish them well? Well, if you're wishing for somebody to find true happiness, you're not wishing that they get their way all the time. You're wishing that they, in time, find where real happiness lies. And if they do, they won't be harming others. And so you're just wishing for them to wake up You're wishing for them to get in touch with the love that they were born into this world with and learning how to share it. That way, you are much more effective in your actions. There's a a famous example of this when uh, India and and Pakistan were uh, uh, were, uh, dividing at the end of um, uh, the, the war, there was, and they they turned it into East Pakistan and and West Pakistan, and 
in West Pakistan, they, they, uh, India, before this happened, the Indian uh, sent to the, the, the Western uh, India, uh, the Indian government sent um, thousands of troops to quell the, uh, the uprising. And in uh, uh, East India, Gandhi went and he did a fast and he was much more successful. The power of somebody's love is tremendously transformative, just like in our culture, Martin Luther King, why he is such a, an icon and an inspiration is that, and he was inspired by Gandhi, that he embodied Jesus' instruction to love your enemies. That's a really high bar, but this is the way through. If we just create more hatred, we're adding to the stew. So, non-hatred, which starts out with feeling the goodness right inside of us, this is often the, the, the most challenging frontier, seeing the goodness that you were born with, it's right in there in you. And the more you can connect with it for yourself, the more you can start to see it in others and see beyond the division and the divisiveness, and the more you can wish well for everyone. And then there is even um, loving of the truth one of the most powerful aspects of loving the Dharma, loving loving the truth. You come here tonight or you take that class in spiritual, uh, in religion or spirituality. There's something in, in us that is drawn to the truth that is touched by goodness. And the more we can get in touch with our love for that, the more it allows us to express that love. So that's another level of this non-hatred, loving others and loving the mystery of life, whether you call it loving God or loving the Dharma whatever it is, uh, letting your love out. And every moment that you're mindful and you are encountering an unpleasant moment, of which there are many, and you don't meet it with aversion, you are practicing that non-hatred, that non-aversion. You're saying, this too, I can be with this too and you're learning to open your heart to all experience. That leads us to the last, non-delusion. Remember God. Or remembering what's beyond me and other. Remembering to open up to that mystery. Non-delusion in Buddhist 
teachings, there are three things that comprise truly seeing clearly. That is seeing how everything changes, really experiencing the law of impermanence, understanding how holding on to that which is changing is a prescription for suffering, and seeing that we are this changing experience. We are this flow of experience, and there's nothing in us that is fixed and unchanging, seeing that we too are this flow of experience. And uh, some we have done, I've done this before, I think, but since there's a number of people here new for the first time, just to point to this, uh, uh, a simple little exercise uh, that sees through the solidity of taking myself to be separate from life. So um, just uh, do this with me, share this with me. Uh, Go inside and first think of yourself as a noun. That's how a person is defined. Something, some solid object, thing. And just tune into the nounness of me. I am some body to whom life is happening. And now, see what it's like to think of yourself as a verb as a field of activity with all the different systems, circulatory system and nervous system and endocrine system and digestive system and all the thoughts and all the feelings and all the flux of life moving through this form called you. See yourself as a verb, not something that life is happening to, but something through which life is expressing itself. This pattern of body and mind called you, you are a verb. And as you tune into that, notice the freedom that comes from that. You can open your eyes. And when you, the more you see that, the more you see that Life is just expressing itself through you. Yes, you exist in a pattern called James or or Jackie or whoever you are, but in a more fundamental way, you're just an expression of life that's taking this form for a little while. 
and there's no fixed place in there that you can point to and say, that's the essence of me. Because it's all changing. And to see both of those are true. And the more you can free up this sense of separateness and see right now, this is just life expressing itself through these forms and hearing each other. We all began began in the great singularity before the Big Bang happened. We're all part of the same stuff. Remember that? However many billion years ago it was. And to see that, that's non-delusion. Seeing that we're not separate from everything. And the moment in mindfulness that you are with your experience without taking ownership of that experience, my anger, my fear, my unconditional love, my unconditional love is a lot better than yours. It doesn't make any sense. It's just love coming through us. Love finding itself through us. So these are the same roots. Love everyone, serve everyone, remember God. Non-greed, non-hatred, non-delusion. And every moment that you're mindful you are cultivating those roots of happiness. That's the amazing gift, the miracle of mindfulness, as Thich Nhat Hanh calls it. Every moment that you're mindful, you are cultivating the roots of happiness and love and freedom. So... Stop here. Uh, we have just a few minutes. We'll end in uh, about five minutes. But if there's any questions, uh, let's see if um, John, you can raise your hand over there. Thanks. Test, testing. Uh, yeah, thanks. Uh, that was a great talk. And it I just a quick comment. It reminded me of something I saw yesterday. Uh, I I follow Love Serve Remember Foundation on Facebook, oh, and yesterday they shared uh, a quote I've seen many times from Ram Dass about something to the effect of if if somebody really annoys you or bothers you, that's your clue that about the work work that you have to do. And below that was a photo of what I believe was, is Ram Dass's altar. And it had a picture of Neem Crowley Baba in a frame and some other things. But in front of that was a nice little frame picture of Donald Trump. <laughs> and, and I just thought, you know, that's the advanced version of the work. Yeah. I, I'm glad he's doing that. I wish I could, but it definitely points in, in the right direction. That's it. Thank you. Yeah. Advanced loving kindness. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Anything else before we we close? Okay, so uh, we can end with a 
a brief uh, loving kindness. And uh, and there I want to bring these people into the room. Mike battling lung cancer, colon cancer. Luke suffering with a chronic liver disease. Doug, may your spirit soar in joy. Doug Corbin. Meta for Daniel, who has stage four cancer. And you might just think of anyone in your life who you want to bring into your heart and wish well. And see that suffering is part of life. And so is care and compassion. Just appreciating yourself for coming here and for being interested in wanting to awaken just a little bit more. And wish yourself well. May I see through my confusion Share my love well. And then sharing that with everyone in this room, our goodwill here, spending the evening together, and just from this field of goodwill, sending out, radiating out, so that It's shared with all beings everywhere. May all see through their confusion, share their love well, know the highest happiness and peace. May our coming here together Ripple out and be of benefit to all beings everywhere. Thank you very much for your kind attention. Enjoy your week and uh, come on back. <laughs> so, yeah. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.